0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux, back with our good friend Bill Whittle of the aptly named BillWhittle.com. You should go and check out his work. He also works with PJ Media and other places around the Internet. But he is currently floating around in our tiny little box on your screen. Uh, thanks a lot, Bill. Uh, great to have you back.
1: It's good to be here, Stefan. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm well, thank you. So... This show has uh, dipped a little bit into the acid pool of aggregate IQ differences between ethnicities. And uh, you mentioned uh, just in our pre-show chat, you read The Bell Curve, uh, which was uh, Dick Hernstein and um, uh, Murray's big magnum opus, although it had only one chapter out of I think a dozen or more that was devoted to this. But it kind of goes in passing. Oh, that's interesting, bookmark, and you kind of keep going forward. But uh, we've, of course, had a whole bunch of experts from both the left and the right on talking about uh, IQ differences. Uh, between ethnicities and um, I think that helped to bring the issue more to the forefront of your thinking. is that fair to say
1: yeah uh, I mean obviously that 's the controversial part of the bell curve is the i q difference between, uh, between ethnicity ethnicities but i think uh, I think the the deeper issue is well, since since i q seems to g, you know general iq g right is the, is the term they use since it since it so closely correlates. To Both poverty and crime on one hand and generally success and wealth on the other, um, it would be useful to be thinking about what what a society that was that was recognizing these differences looked like uh, you you can't you, 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 I just love your example i 've used it every time with uh, you know with attribution although that 's not you know it 's hard for me because it 's such a damn good analogy. But, you know, it's like you said, you know, if you put – you can't put somebody on a basketball team to make them taller. Uh, and and I think it would be an interesting uh, discussion today to talk about what a society that recognized the importance of cognition is in a third-wave economy. And 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 you can compare it to first and second-wave economies as well. So, you know, we we have so many of our problems. We talk about, well, we're going to fix welfare by throwing more money at it or we're going to put – means test these people or we're going to do all this. I happen to think that all this stuff – is dancing around the margins that, that there are in fact some solutions, but if you're not going to have the courage to talk about the, the real issues in terms of race, in terms of IQ, in terms of uh, all of this stuff, then you're not going to get anywhere. And just to preface this, so that the so that the um, you know the fire brigades that are already on their way, you know, uh, this is a hard thing for 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 uh, progressives to understand about people like you and me. When we talk about these things, it's not because we hate these people, and it's not because we want to see them go away. On the contrary. We're, we seem to have, I listened to your, to your shows on this, we are willing to take the kind of abuse that we're going to take by talking about some of this stuff specifically because we'd like to see everybody live better. I'm certainly speaking for myself here and I know you are too. It's like you, you've, got, you've got a big part of the country in, a, in an ongoing trap and I'd like to see them get out of it and be happy and free and, uh, and successful. So that's where I'm coming from on this one.
0: Yeah, well, without a doubt, there's certainly no animosity. The, the pursuit of truth can never be something that is that's biased right. or prejudiced by that's its very right. nature. If that's you're aiming at exactly truth, right.
1: That's exactly You're exactly, exactly right.
0: trying to get away from bias. And just so that's a very, very brief introduction for those who don't know the um, the background or the backstory to this. And we'll talk about its explanatory power uh, in a moment and the dangers of ignoring these basic facts. But um, uh, the IQ test uh, came in a little over a hundred years ago, and the first group to use it was the u.s military uh, and this very quickly spread to other military uh, operations throughout the world the reason being that they didn't want to put the smartest people in the trenches they wanted them to be you know ballistics operators or decryptors or man- mm-hmm. managing communications or writing propaganda so they gave iq tests and iq tests have been used ever since uh, particularly in the u.s military so people who say well iq tests are meaningless really better phone the pentagon which has been using it for over a century and uh, inform them that they're completely misallocating their resources, I think you'll have a tough time making that case. These guys are dealing with life and death, and if there's a meaningless test, it would not have survived for over a century.
1: did I throw uh, one thing in here? Just, yeah, just, to, yeah. just one thing super quick. I, I just uh, spent the weekend with a friend of mine who's my number one success story. On some level, he's the dad I should have had. He was a geology professor, and then he started his own business, and, and they do 90%, 95% of the world's carbon-14 dating. And I only found out just yesterday, or rather just over the weekend, he um, he joined the Marine Corps, and he joined the Marine Corps to get in combat, and he specifically flunked the IQ test because he knew if he gave it everything he got, he wasn't, he wasn't going anywhere near the, the front lines.
0: Right, right, and, and it's a tragic way that it was sort of introduced. Now, the IQ test has been given millions and millions and millions of time, uh, times in the developed world, in the undeveloped world, everywhere in between, and um, it is normalized for Caucasians, for whites, at around 100. hmm and, uh, you know, the preface for all of this, of course, is that there's no such thing as being able to use IQ test generalizations to judge any specific individual because, you know, it's like saying there can't be any tall Chinese people, over, even though Chinese on average are shorter than, say, Danish people, who I think are the tallest around. And so uh, what happens is generally the Ashkenazi Jews who are the wandering Jews, the, not, the Jews who basically were not in the Middle East uh, throughout mm-hmm. most of European history, uh, they clock in at about 115, and they're actually somewhat lowered by not-so-great visual-spatial skills, uh, but they're exceedingly good at language skills. They go 120, 120-plus, plus uh, into, and that's a full standard deviation above. That so that is, that's It's a, a remarkable difference. Right. And and the argument for this is that uh, the Jews throughout most of human history were not considered particularly intelligent. But about 700 years ago, the culture kind of changed in reaction to a variety of things so that they began to really focus on breeding for brains. And... um, The the Jews did something, the Ashkenazi Jews did something that you kind of wish the Catholic Church had encouraged, which the Catholic Church took the smartest people, locked them in monasteries and deactivated their testicles, which uh, was really not great.
1: That's right. By making priests celibate, you were taking the smartest, most literate people in society and making sure that they didn't reproduce.
0: Whereas, and and the the studies are very clear on this, the smartest Jews tended to be rabbis, the rabbis, marrying a rabbi was the very best thing, and they de-emphasized looks and re-emphasized or focused on on brains, and over the last 700 years, the argument is that that's given them about a third of an IQ point per generation, which has given them a standard deviation higher. So when there's all this Jewish conspiracy stuff or the Jews are in charge of this, that, and the other, it's like, no, smart people are in charge of this, that, and the other, Jews just biologically or culturally, I think it's more biological, about 50 to 80% of IQ tends to be heritable. That's just smarter people and Jews are overrepresented. After the Jews come the East Asians, right, the North, the the Koreans, the the Chinese, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the Japanese, and so on, they clock in at 105, 106, but very good on visual spatial skills and very, very fast reaction times, which is another way that they measure intelligence. Caucasians come in at about 100, and then below that uh, are uh, Hispanics uh, clocking in at around uh, 90, and then uh, American blacks clocking in at around 85, uh, because partly because they have 20% European admixture in their gene pool, and then sub-Saharan Africans uh, clocking in at around 70, which is obviously very tragic, but this is the reality of what's happened. And uh, slightly below that are the aboriginals in Australia clocking in at around 67 or whatever. Now, these are very, very predictive measures. Uh, there is a very strong correlation between IQ and um, uh, income, IQ and health outcomes, like IQ people tend to be Frankly, taller. Uh, of course, the highest IQ people have the least hair. Um, we'll, we'll put yeah, the disclaimer so, in below. And, and here, so. and
1: here, and here's your argument on both sides, completely, completely confirmed.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you see, the brain is so active, it has to suck in the hair, like you know. I understand. No, mine's food. barely
1: functioning, and that's why they let all this moss grow. <laughs>
0: it's like it's like sucking in spaghetti. Just in, yeah, in it's it. a
1: nice, cool, damp environment up here for me, and it works real well. For <laughs>
0: Mossy thoughts continue. And um, uh, so uh, it's very predictive in terms of life outcome. Uh, high IQ people, of course, generally get better education, uh, more literate naturally, tend to stay, stay married. If they get married, they stay married, tend to be better parents, healthier. They tend to commit far fewer crimes. Of course, there are Bernie, uh, Bernie Madoff exceptions, you know, but mm-hmm. the evil genius tends to be more of a myth than a reality. The unfortunate thing is that the highest peak of criminality occurs at around IQ 85. Uh, which has something to do with um, some ways to go towards explaining the uh, prevalence of criminal behavior among certain sections of the black population. In the United States, the very, very brief – and this has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. That's really, really important to understand. It's merely adaptation to local circumstances. Nobody would say that a polar bear is superior to a brown bear. All we say is the polar bear is better adapted to snow and the brown bear is better adapted to the woods. That's all all it is. Mm -hmm. And so the argument goes something like this, that um, about 50,000 years ago, humanity went in vastly different directions – some, of course, ended up in Siberia. Some stayed in Africa. Some went to northern Europe. Now, once you go past a certain latitude, you get these godforsaken uh, winters. I'm actually, of course, broadcasting as usual from an igloo uh, because I'm in Canada and that's all we live in, as everybody knows. Big so, out
1: in the window behind you. <laughs>
0: so, so the idea is that uh, if you don't have a deferral of gratification capacity – Right. Uh, then you're going to eat your seed crop. You're not. You know, once you get into agriculture and so on, uh, then you are not going to be able to survive. So you need very close social cohesion, social cooperation, uh, and you need to be able to defer gratification. You need to work very hard in the now for stuff which may not pay off for a year or two in terms of clearing the land, seeding the land and all that. And my particular idea is that intelligence is just one of these byproducts of the need biologically to defer gratification. In other words, I don't think nature could figure out how to get you to defer gratification without making you more intelligent, seeing further over the horizon yeah. of time.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, the stu- my understanding of the study of the uh, evolution of the brain is that the connection between the brain and the hand is a feedback loop and that the, that the first tool users were, were using their brains and their hands in such a way that each one basically Develop the the uh, the other. The more precise work you're able to do with your hands, the more you're able to think about what kind of precise tools you could make, and that gave you better control of your fingers. And there's kind of a feedback loop here. Uh, the, the part about this discussion that I'm most interested in is uh, is is look, we have enormous societal problems to solve, enormous, and we have world problems to solve too, obviously. And I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who has to go around and fix all the world's problems, but I am interested in, in you know—in protecting um, my country and my country's values and Western values. I mean, that's, to me, the, the reason I do the work I do. It, it's, it disturbs so many people. It disturbs me, to be perfectly honest with you. But in, it's not a question of, of whether or not this is true. It's a question of what, what do we do with what appears to be overwhelming information that IQ correlates to a lot of our social problems. And one of the things you, you said in an, in an, uh, interview, I forgotten her name. She was, uh, the, uh the, Linda the, Gottfriedson. Yes, that's right. Linda. Um, she said that when you really get down to it, it's not that we have a, uh, that, that in terms of like really rigid poverty, it's not that we have a money problem. We have a cognitive problem. They don't have access to cognition, uh, access to cognition, I think is what she said. Uh, my experience, you know, I just just for the record here. I mean, I spent two two pretty much two decades of my life stone cold broke. I mean, power getting turned off every month, and you know, you write a seven dollar check and get a thirty two dollar bounce check fee for that. And I mean, I really familiar Wait, with all. You, this. you wouldn't
0: have happened to be in, in the arts at that time, which
1: that's exactly right. There you go. I was I was exactly right, and and the reason I was that poor was because I was a uh, determined to uh, to follow my wandering minstrel. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, desire. Uh, certainly at any time I could have gotten a job that would have paid the bills. But I understand what that kind of poverty is like. And I think the thing that's most interesting uh, people say, no, you couldn't understand what it's like because you, you know, you could have gotten out of it. I do know what it's like. And, uh, you know, I was, a in college, I was six foot one and it was 119 pounds. You know, we would, we pool three dollars and eighty cents, so the three of us could get hamburgers. I'm not joking either. I'm I'm, I'm really serious.
0: Oh, I I did the uh, let's all go to the salad bar. You, you, everyone else will order drinks. One guy would get the all-you-can-eat salad bar. Yep. And he'll pass pasta the played around you like for a, a sermon. A sermon of Jesus. Sorry. Yeah, I
1: was I was 119 pounds, and it was from from not having the money to eat anything. Uh, so the reason I think that needs to be said is because we we have to. I think we have to really, if we're really going to be honest with ourselves. Because I would like to, I would like everybody in this country to be happy, and and I'd like everybody to be f- fulfilled and successful and have a hope and some control over their lives instead of being on this dependency farm that that uh, the the liberals want people to be on. They, they basically they're vote harvesting. They get them to work for two hours every two years, and I don't like seeing millions and millions and millions of my countrymen dependent and hopeless and filled with rage and anger because they've got uh, nowhere to go. the The issue is. Ben Shapiro got vir- virtually, literally, like physically torn apart when he suggested that poverty was a series of bad decisions. The teacher, at that point, threw the circuit breaker. This was too alarming for some students, too triggering. So once he said that, he was removed from the uh, from the school, and the teacher basically threw his or her body in front of the students because an idea like that simply cannot be allowed to to penetrate their their precious little brains. You know, that just she just threw the circuit breakers on the whole argument, and I find that extremely offensive because. If you really want to solve a problem, you can't solve the problem until you know what the problem is. And one of the things I will tell you is that uh, of all the people and of all – the first public speaking I did was up in uh, Utah Valley University and Southern Utah University. I'd never met the Mormons before. But they gave me a tour of um, of I think what they called Welfare Square, which is a rather unfortunate name. But But basically, they gave me a tour of their facilities up there and they have – People who are out of work up there, people who are destitute, they take them in and they give them jobs and they teach them how to, you know, work and they they do all this stuff and they give them uh, jobs on the assembly line. So so basically, what the, what the Mormons did was they they didn't just give them money; they gave them jobs. They trained them how to do the jobs. But the most important thing I thought that contributed to their tremendous success rate this is this is the entire issue for me was that they they took these people into their homes they told they taught them how to cook they taught them how to make rice and chicken they taught them how to they taught them how to budget they taught them how to do all of these things these people had never had any experience with this at all whatsoever so we keep throwing money at problems that certainly now after several trillions of dollars of wealth redistribution have made our cities much 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 more violent than they used to be so what do we do about it? And one of the problems, of course, is that we're moving out of the pretty much almost effectively completely moved out of an industrial age where, where people might have a simple task and, and, and you're moving into an information age where every single day your cognitive ability becomes more connected to how much money you're going to make and who you hang out with and what your politics are going to be and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And a society that is uh, around the free market, the the free market seems to, at least according to most of the available evidence, relentlessly sought by IQ. Now, uh, when you say that there's monetary value. In having a higher IQ, of course, we're not sort of saying everyone with a high IQ makes more money and everyone with a lower IQ makes less money. Uh, I think Muhammad Ali's uh, IQ was in the seventies or low eighties, and you know was a fantastic guy and a great boxer and inspiration to millions. So it's not you know an absolute kind of IQ determinism, but when you zoom out enough, you see these larger trends. Now, yeah. um, a free market. That which, you know, the deferral of gratification, which is the capacity to invest, the capacity to do things that are difficult in order to reap the rewards later, which comes from a cold climate, but not so cold it snows all the time and you can't get agriculture going. But a climate which rewards the deferral of gratification is naturally, in a way, going to end up. With um, the development of a free market system, the free market system, like agriculture, rewards the deferral of gratification. So we would expect those with the highest IQs to have the highest income. And when you look at the income aggregations by uh, ethnicities, it falls exactly along the IQ bands. The highest incomes are Jews, followed by uh, East Asians, followed by uh, whites, followed by Hispanics, followed by uh, blacks. And so the standard argument from the left is everyone's equal – and therefore, all group disparities must result out of prejudice, racism, and so on.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Now, what the IQ paradigm, and, and once you sort of take these foggy lefty glasses on and look at the world with, with true statistical and biological clarity, it is heartbreaking. I mean, because boy, wouldn't it be great if everyone was the same? I mean, as far as opportunities, if we were all in the same bell curve, that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing it would be kind of against evolution right the brain consumes like 20% of our body's energy but is only 3% of our mass so the mm-hmm. idea that the brain which is our most expensive organ in terms of energy that our brain would not adapt to wildly differing, if not downright opposing environments would make no sense. You know, the idea that skin adapts, nose adapts, even the number of twins that the races have adapts to the environment. But this giant brain we have is somehow has this magnetic shield Mm -hmm. that, that keeps evolution from touching it at all doesn't make any sense. But it does explain why, you know, this this argument from the left that white societies are racist societies. It doesn't explain why Jews and East Asians make more money. Than whites, or if they say, "Well, the IQ test is biased towards white people," it doesn't explain why East Asians and Jews score higher on mm. these uh, supposedly, you know, white preferential IQ tests. Right. So, when you look at um, success in society, and you only look downwards rather than looking at the groups that are doing better than white people, the East Asians and the Ashkenazi Jews, then you get a very skewed view. And this view uh, uh, upwards on the IQ scale is relentlessly denied by leftists because it really throws a, a, a pooch into the machinery of the whole paradigm that you know all non-white groups do worse than white people because of white racism but if you look this is clearly not the case but it follows exactly the iq lines
1: yeah i think that's really true and, it, and certainly my experience has been that um that the uh, that the people who I I think that I think the smartest guy on the map is Thomas Sowell I really do I think I think Thomas Sowell is, is simply the smartest guy I've ever read, uh, and Thomas Sowell doesn't talk about race at all Thomas Sowell talks about he talks about philosophy he talk he, he he he's not one of these people that are that are blaming his lack of success or crediting his success to anything other than his own ability to to be a you know a brilliant thinker and a and a and a big success. Um, one of the things that's, that's a problem when you start talking about these things is everybody, as you say, wants to look at the problems, and, and one of the problems is that you ignore the top end. I mean, there's God knows how many programs that we spend a fortune on for uh, remedial work for, for students, That I'm in favor of spending that. Obviously, you know, when, want everybody to learn to the, to the limit of their ability, but there's very little out there in terms of structure for people who are breakaway smart, and uh, those people are the people that are going to change society. They're, for the better, they're the people that are going to change. Uh, they're the people that are going to come up with the cures for cancer, and they're going to come up with the with the telecommunications breakthroughs, and they're going to come up with the you know with with whatever. Uh, and I, I certainly think they could use a little more um, uh, assistance in terms of the you know some of the programs for them, and mostly that consists of just leaving them alone. I was an in independent study, and it would just you know just started reading about ion drives in fifth grade because I was interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, I think there's another point here that's interesting to me, Stefan. and this is – this, this may seem counterintuitive, but I actually don't think it is. I am overwhelmed at how stupid intellectuals can be. Uh, <laughs> my definition of intellectualism is uh, intelligence that's been left out in the sun too long, and, uh, and, and I think an intellectual is somebody who's been educated past the limit of their intelligence – Uh, And
0: usually an intellectual who's shielded from free market forces in academia or some think tank or some political attachment or something.
1: That's exactly right. So one of the problems we have on the other end of the spectrum is you have these pretty bright people who are university professors of, you know, medieval literature or something, and, and they're very bright people in many cases, but because they're bright in certain areas, they think that they, they're bright in all areas. This is the, the intellectual trap that interests me so much, and I'll give you my little theory since we're talking about IQ today. I love this little theory. I, I'm just so happy with it, because so I think it explains the difference between um, left, left-wing and, and right-wing philosophers. My theory is called Island 120, okay? It's called Island 120, and my, and my general um, thesis is this, people with an IQ of 100 or above, 105, 108, 110, somewhere in that ballpark, right? They all want to seem smart. They, they listen to smart people, and they don't want to be seen to be stupider than those people. And the people that they're listening to, guys like Bill Maher and, you know, and, and Michael Moore and this kind of thing, these guys might have an IQ of 120, something in that general ballpark. So all of the all of the cultural forces on these intellectuals is to move them up to Island 120, where everybody thinks the same on this island, everybody votes the same, everybody believes in the same things, everybody's there to save the planet while they fly their own private jets everybody is there to you know to have a special ribbon on their thing everybody votes democrat everybody loves michael moore everybody you know laments the the lack of diversity in the oscars and that's what everybody on island 120 believes because there's so many people want to be seen to be on that island when you get into breakout intelligence it's like guys like thomas Sowell or victor davis hansen or some of these other philosophers they don't i don't see any philosophers on the left as norm Noam chomsky is 109 years old and uh, I, I never thought his political ideas had any value. His linguistic ideas did. But my, my point is once you hit a certain level of, of, of cognitive ability, you do, Island 120 is behind you. And, and things that seem so, so much the part of this kind of liberal intellectual mantra, like socialism, for example, once you blow past that, it's like this doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense that it doesn't work. People believe it because it's trendy to believe. They make you think you're smart if you believe in it. But it doesn't make any sense, and the point that actually really fascinates me the most is that is that common sense, what we used to call common sense, it, in my mind, common sense is the ability in America anyway of 318 million processors running local data in real time, forming networks and solutions that come and go you know as easily as anything else, and that this is an enormous pool of collected intelligence which Ten people in a room in Washington think they're smarter than That is something I simply will never believe. The idea that you might have five or ten people in a room in Washington with 120, 130 IQs. Who are we kidding? If they're in Washington, they probably have 80 IQs. But the idea that a a room full of four or five people could direct something like an economy is, is this incredible form of arrogance that comes with this kind of intelligence that has hit its limit, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and so when people look at group disparities, which are undoubtable, uh, indisputable, the group uh, disparities, and not just, of course, within American society, but across the world, you look at places Mm -hmm. like Haiti versus Singapore. Well, Haiti has a very low IQ population in aggregate, and Singapore has one of the highest IQ populations on the planet. And so if you look at these two societies, uh, Singapore, of course, once the intelligence was liberated by free market principles, Mm-hmm. Then it was able to assume its place at the forefront of uh, human um, achievement. Whereas Haiti uh, has not been able to achieve that, and um, you know they've been largely self-governed for 400 years. They've had you know billions of dollars of aid poured into the country, and they're unable to achieve that. And that is tragically one of the results, arguably, of of not facing the winnowing out of of winter. You know, when the Europeans first came. To sub-Saharan Africa, they met a population that had no written language. They met a population that had not discovered or invented the wheel, that um, had not built a two-story structure. Uh, and this, of course, was um, thousands of years after these things had been achieved in most other countries and cultures. Now, it can't have been this, uh, the effect of racism because this was the first time in about 50,000 years that the two races had run into each other. And so this basic reality that in Africa, for a variety of reasons, the winnowing out of lower IQ populations and the the, the horrifying and genocidal selection for high intelligence, is a giant scar tissue trailing behind uh, white Sashkenazi Jews and uh, East Asians, these factors didn't operate. And the idea that, you know, I I used this metaphor in a show last night, but this idea that you, you take a polar bear, with all its white fur, and you put it in a a forest, like a European Mm -hmm. forest, that polar bear is not going to do well. Now, if people don't notice that it's a different color and and know how that is going to affect its capacity to hunt and hide and and so on, would the polar bear be just in saying, well, I'm failing because of anti-polar bear bigotry on the part of the brown bears? Well, no, you're just in the wrong environment for what you've adapted to. And, you know, when I've pointed out that the um, uh, Australian aboriginals Um, have low IQs on average, very low. And people have written to me and said, well, yeah, but they've got desert smarts and they can survive in their environment a lot better than you can. I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) There's no question. That's the point, that organisms have adapted to their local environments. And that has resulted in significant differences between ethnicities. And I have no problem with ethnicities being together. But the problem is, If the disparities, particularly in intelligence, uh, in aggregate, are not admitted, then you end up with an incredibly frustrated, resentful, angry, embittered, enraged population, uh, which is on the lower IQ side. And you end up with a hysterically appeasing and defensive and jumpy and guilty population on the higher IQ side. Whereas we don't look at the NBA and say, well, they must be racist against Asians because there aren't a lot of Asians playing there. Because if somebody said that, we'd say, well, Asians generally are pretty short uh, Mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, height being a very helpful thing." in basketball. That's pretty obvious. And so if you don't know the IQ stuff, the friction doesn't come from the IQ differences. The friction comes from ignoring the IQ differences. And, you know, I want a world where my daughter doesn't grow up being told that she's a racist for things that 50,000 years of evolution has put just a little bit beyond her control.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting when somebody would say that you um, that that a Bushman in, in Australia survives in the desert much better than you could. That's undoubtedly true. But the, the part that they're leaving out is that with a uh, several months or weeks or a year of, of, of being with the with the uh, aborigines, you could learn those techniques about as well as they could, or certainly well enough to survive. The question is, could they learn the techniques that you use in order to do what you do for a living? And the answer apparently is not. You know they, 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 that's that's the thing about intelligence is it can it can adapt down, but you can't you can't you can't adapt. Beyond your ability, this is the es- this is the essential problem of socialism, and that's why this whole thing is so interesting to me, and why it ties into so many things. the 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 charge Bernie Sanders has got eighty five percent of the support of of young American kids who are very bright kids. Usually they're just college kids, you know, and and he's got this incredible support among them because he's demonized wealth inequality. He's demonized. We talk in this country all the time about income inequality. That's all we ever hear from the left is income inequality. We never talk about output inequality. No one ever has that conversation ever. No one ever has the conversation about output inequality. And and when you when you ask people what's fair and they say, well, it's not fair that this guy should have billions of dollars and this person should have none. You kind of have to back up and ask yourself, well, if this guy is a multimillionaire because he's a brain surgeon like Ben Carson, let's say, is it fair that a guy with, with Ben Carson's abilities spends 20 years of his life and probably a quarter of a million dollars, at least that, in debt, in order to become a leading brain surgeon, is it fair that he makes as much money as a guy who smokes doobies out in back of the 7-Eleven all day? Is that fair? It's not fair. And, and it's not only not fair, it's completely destructive because if you enforce – more or less the same salary, the same income. If you want to get rid of income equality and you want a, a brain surgeon like Ben Carson to make as much money as a 7-Eleven clerk, then there won't be any brain surgeons. Why would there be any brain surgeons? This is, this is why socialism fails. The, the difference between equality of, of opportunity and quality of result, as you well know, is equality of opportunity means we have a starting line and nobody gets a start ahead. Nobody gets a start behind. I consider that a fair society. Bang, the gun goes off when you're born. And you can run as fast as you can or as slow as you want to, and you get to determine your own life. But if socialism is the world where everybody has to cross the finish line at the same time, if everybody has to end up with the same salary, the same size house, the same kind of car, the same kind of everything, then the race has to, by definition, proceed at the rate of the slowest runner, right? No one can run faster than their fastest. And if everybody's going to cross the finish line at the same time and you have 100 people in the race... My version of equality, equality of opportunity, means everybody gets to go as fast as they can or want to. And if you don't want to run fast, fine. Their version of equality means that 99 people have to be held back and hobbled to cross the finish line at the speed of the slowest person. And the entire society goes down that way. So if we don't, if we don't understand that, as you said, that this, that this cognitive ability – has an impact on society in the same way that a height ability has the impact on the society of the NBA, for example, we're going to just be throwing money at problems. And and I thought what you said just now was, was very eloquent. You're going to end up with these opposing camps of, of, of people who, who aren't, aren't talking to each other on any real way, just a hostility rage on one hand and, and guilt and, and, uh, and disdain on the other. And we're, we're, we're we're trying to solve this problem by getting to the root of the problem. And as I said, the thing that, that so impressed me about the Mormons who I found to be extremely bright people, and not just bright, not just bright, uh disciplined, unbelievably disciplined. I I met these two kids, they weren't kids. I, I was the kid, I was fifty. These these two Mormon uh men were twenty-two years old, they're taking me around uh Salt Lake City and at, at twenty-two. These guys had already done five years of missionary service. They had $200,000 in the bank. They had a year's supply of food in the basement downstairs, ready to go. I mean, these guys are just, they're like Vulcans or elves or something. You know, I'm walking around here going, my God, you know, what, a, what, an, incredible, what an incredible society. But what they do when they, when they offer assistance to people is they don't just hand them a check and they don't just say, here you go and walk away. They bring them into their culture and teach them. The things that they need to know how to do so that they don't walk out of here and have to come back for a check again in in a month or so. And we're not doing any of that that I can see on a national level in this country.
0: No, that's the poverty is. it's the result of bad decisions and it's also the results in general of lower intelligence and also the average uh, person or the average family in poverty has two adults working an average of 10 hours a week it's also a lack of work and again these things are all fine i mean i'm not some protestant whipmaster that says you got to go work 16 hours a day to fulfill god's plan for your accumulation of wealth but, but you, choices you have, have consequences yeah,
1: and you have a right you have a right to say well now i shouldn't have to work 120 hours a week to pay for somebody who's working for 10 hours a week and that's right. really now that's really what it comes down to now because that's really what we're seeing uh and i think that's why the it, the both the bernie sanders and the donald trump's su- uh, uh success has been that the american people are, are fundamentally fed up with something there's just they just the, there's just something really wrong and both camps are kind of looking at it solving it from uh, different directions but i think everybody in the country senses that there's something just really really wrong and and what's wrong is We've been told what to believe by the left and we've been told that any belief other than what they tell us to be believed makes you pure evil and therefore shut up and do what we say. And, and we can't get past the problems that the left has spun into this country without, without doing this. For example, the immigration thing. I mean you, you could have as many immigrants into this country as you wanted to so long as there was no social services. If it was just a question of jobs needing to be filled – and you didn't get any social services, then people would come in and work until the market was saturated. At which point, there would be no jobs for these people, and they wouldn't come because they'd be, they'd be starving on the streets here. And and the other side of that argument, of course, the immigration argument and the and the Muslim immigration argument into you know with Syrians and so on is, the don't don't these people have an obligation to to. To fight for and to improve their own societies, when you see these um, these uh, Syrian immigrants or these Muslim immigrants in Europe, and they're you know they're nine out of ten of them are twenty eight year old males, what kind of a person is that? I mean, where's your mom? Where's your sister? Where's your wife? Where's where's your daughter? Did you leave them behind in this in this death zone that you've been so eager to? to to escape or did you did you did you use them for flotation devices i mean what uh- oh
0: no they're uh, they're doing what uh, muslims have been doing for 1400 years which is right. uh, conquering by immigration i mean that's not they're not like oh we, we've we fled and left our you know they're going to try and take over europe to bring their families with them i mean but- the, this is like the 80th country that this has happened to uh, and so it's not that hard to see the next domino in the muslim plan which has been going on since uh, it was founded
1: the reason I bring it up is because the left always – the left has no – there is no data and there is no evidence and there's no history and there's no logic on the left that I can see, which is why I've abandoned so many of these positions. What they have is this unearned moral superiority. They have this sense of I'm better than you are. You're a horrible person. I'm a wonderful person because I welcome these Syrian refugees into my country. And when the reason I think that argument that I made is interesting is because this argument isn't, isn't an argument about it, the head. It's a, it's a hard argument. You can say if there are so many of these young men, well, they're, they're, fleeing, they're, they're fleeing oppression. Okay, well, if these hordes of young men are fleeing oppression and we need to take them in because they're refugees, where are their moms? Where are their daughters? Where are their sisters? Did they leave them behind? It's now a moral argument. What kind of people are they? You know, what kind of people are they? They're warriors well, Is what kind of people they are.
0: Yeah, and, and this is one of the great challenges if, you don't, if people don't understand the IQ Um, reality of the world and in particular the Middle East, I'll go through some numbers in just a second, but... um the first, you know, one of one of my great influences uh, as a, a young man, as a teenager, was a friend of mine's father who was, uh, he refused to say Iranian. He always referred to himself as Persian. Persian yeah. A wonderful, wonderful man, smart as a whip, compassionate, kind, uh, very, very inspiring to me in, in so many ways. But the reality is that the smartest people from the Middle East have already left and come to the West, and they've been doing it for decades. And they do this not because they want to come and take over. But now we're getting the people who were left behind during the first, you know, nine- different different waves of the smartest people, uh, leaving. And so, you know, here's some numbers that should put the fear of God into anybody who understands this kind of stuff. Uh, and some of these numbers are cobbled together. We're going to get the researcher on, um, next week to talk about these in more detail. So these may have some variability, but, uh, if we look at, um, Iraq, you got an average IQ of 87. Iran, you got an average IQ of 84. Egypt is 81. Syria 83. Libya, 83. Afghanistan 84. United Arab Emirates 84. Saudi Arabia 84. Equatorial Guinea is actually the lowest. Sorry, it's it's at 59. And this uh, a, lot, a lot of this has to do with culture with being bred for ferocity with high intelligence people not doing very well in a brutal medieval theocracy i think that's just you know if you're a skeptic if you're willing mm-hmm. to think for yourself you're not going to last very long you know your very large head will soon be rolling in a basket somewhere uh, yeah, underneath the sword you go, with an axe. that's why
1: going to the priesthood Right. Yeah, uh,
0: and the, um, the, the blood-related marriages is a huge problem. You know, blood-related marriages, um, uh, consanguine marriages, cousin marriages, and so on, have been shown to reduce IQ between 8 and 16 points uh, because remarkable. of the lack of genetic diversity. And this in a group that is very inbred and has a policy against marrying outsiders. And this ranges, you know, uh, Nubia as 80%. Cousin marriages. Um Egypt is thirty-three percent, Iraq sixty percent, Jordan sixty-four, Kuwait sixty-four, Mauritania Saudi Arabia. 67%, right? So more than two-thirds of the marriages are um, cousin or blood-related marriages. Um, Syria is 40%. And so you have, um, a re- again, on average, lots of exceptions like um, my friend's father when I was growing up, but you have, uh, on average, uh, very inbred, low IQ, relatively ferocious, uh, 1,400 years of selecting for conformity, ferocity, and aggression. You are having these people come crashing in to a European society that is founded on. It's founded by people with incredibly high IQs. Like, I mean, the the, the people who the founding fathers and yeah. the, the John Locke and, and uh, all of the people who yeah. founded any one of them would be the remarkable
1: on, the, on, oh, on their own. Yeah, yeah.
0: astonishing genius. Collects to think and they're so, all
1: collected in one place is just astonishing.
0: And so you have a high IQ design society populated by relatively high IQ people, and then you have a low IQ contingent uh, coming in. And that's not good in and of itself, but because people won't recognize and accept the problem with blood relations and with lower IQ, uh, blood relation marriage, the problem is then these people are going to fail. And they're going to fail en masse in the society in the same way that a polar bear is going to starve to death in the Mm -hmm. woods because every rabbit can see it coming six miles away. And so they're going to fail. And because people don't understand, um, you know, the genetic problems brought about by inbreeding and because they don't understand the IQ problem, who is going to get blamed for the failure? Of this group that yeah, is inevitably right. going to fail. In, yeah.
1: In other words, what else could it possibly be? Uh, you're, you're exactly right. It's got to be the racism. It's got to be the. It's got to be the intentional, willful holding back of of people just because we don't like them. You know, uh, I've I've heard this occasionally from from leftists. They say, you know, you you capitalists, you you want people to be poor so that you have a cheap labor force. And it's like. Well, first of all, that's just a vile and repugnant thing to say. We don't want people to be. We'd rather have customers than cheap laborers. You know, we want people to be successful. We want. We want people to have money. We want people to be successful and, and to do well. When you're, this problem is much worse now than it would have been a hundred years ago. Because, as I mentioned briefly, you can, uh, you can take people. Um, with relatively low cognitive skills and and teach them one job on an assembly line in an industrial society. Uh, but when you start getting into an information-based society, and it's not like this is a trend or anything, you know, every day that goes by, that attribute of, of G for general intelligence gets more and more selected for your ability not just to to prosper, but very soon to survive in Western culture. You're going to have to, if you put Government welfare programs aside, you know, as this society becomes more and more complex and more and more driven by by G, these people become ever more disadvantaged, even more disadvantaged than they would be uh, a hundred years ago. And I think the ferocity is an important point too. You know, I think it's a very important point because um, there, we I've seen some of your shows and read some of the books as well, and I I think there's a lot of correlation to this. This whole idea of like uh, the people you would. Ex- that the people who are very successful businessmen actually have, like, relatively low testosterone. They're, they're relatively unaggressive. Successful people in the West are not these, um, you know, they may be type A people in terms of wanting to succeed, but their testosterone levels are not particularly high, fact, they're, they're quite low. Then you run into this story of this guy, uh, this uh, Syrian refugee, or, or, or I know he's, he's an Iraqi refugee. Who raped a ten year old boy in a swimming pool in Austria, and he said his excuse was well he 'd gone weeks without having any kind of sex at all, so he needed it was to be a sexual emergency was, that 's what, what he called it yep yeah, that 's mm. exactly right. so um, so when you get into really high testosterone uh, societies, you tend to find societies that that are that are very small and tribal and they 're very brutal and they 're very um, uh, violent and 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 that's that's bred for. And you could make the case that in a desert environment where resources are so small, there's so little actual resources there, ferocity and the ability to inflict violence is selected for. And and if we don't understand this, if we're not willing to have the guts to talk about this, then then we're going to sit here wondering why the columns are collapsing into dust around our feet and everything's on fire, you know. Everybody knows that things are collapsing and everybody knows that they're on fire. That's what this general discontent is, is about. But no one has the courage to talk about why. We're not talking about morally better people, morally worse people. We're talking about people's ability to adapt and fit into our society without changing our society into theirs. And that's, again, that's the, this is the problem, right, is that this, this, if this IQ difference is real, certainly seems to be real, then it is not a two-way street uh the, Forgive me for uh, g- going back to my entire uh, studio, which is nothing but a museum of Star trek right but I mean the, 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 there there was a really fascinating point, and I remember hearing it when I was probably seven eight, nine years old when I heard it and it 's from the classic classic episode called Mirror, Mirror, where they teleport into the alternate universe and Spock has a has a goatee much like yours i, I think I think in the good universe you 're probably clean shaven i 'm talking to evil <laughs> Stefan now. Let's say I had a goatee and we're living in this alternate universe and and Kirk in the alternate universe succeeds because of his savagery and his ruthlessness, right? Here's the whole line. They finally solve all this stuff. They beam back to their own ships and the the universes go their separate ways. And Spock says to Kirk, he says, you as a civilized man had a much easier time portraying a barbarian than a barbarian ever could as a civilized man. And I thought, yeah, 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 that's it, right? You... We have, um, you know, we're. I just want to clear up, you know, some of the stuff about the IQ test. My friend, I said my friend flunked the IQ test on purpose to get to combat infantry. Uh, that was for the Korean War, and and God knows there were lots and lots and lots of bright people out there. But our soldiers now, I think, are extremely high IQ, and and some of the special forces guys are are shockingly smart because they have to process information very quickly with very fatal uh, outcomes, and. So all of this stuff ties together, you know, uh, it, it's, it's just society is changing. Everybody knows it's changing. The reason inner cities are in such dire trouble is because, number one, of the government projects to give people money, bribe them to not burn things down. But it's also due to the fact that, that when industrial jobs leave the inner cities, as they did in the last 50, 60, 70 years or so, they're not replaced with jobs that are accessible. They're not replaced with jobs of any kind at all. And they just become a, 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 a zip code where people live and grow up, but there's no economic opportunities, there's no um, epi- opportunities at all. I guarantee you, if you and I were born into one of these, uh, one of these neighborhoods, we'd both be drug dealers because that's where the entrepreneurs are. those are where the, those people are, are they're, they're, they're making deals and, they're, and they're, they're trying to control their lives and they're trying to make something you know happen. It, it, when you When you really get down to it you really just have to ask yourself, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And and what do we want? What do we want? I want to live in a world where everybody around me is happy. That's what I want. I want to live in a world where everybody around me is, is happy and they're not a threat because they're happy and, and they have the, they, they get to develop their lives to the, to their maximum happiness. And that's what I want. And I'm seeing this getting worse and worse every day.
0: Well, you mentioned Bernie Sanders, and I, I think that it's – let's just take the IQ lens and look at Bernie Sanders' campaign, just one aspect of it. And sure. within a few minutes, we can clear up exactly what's happening here. So in the cause and effect reversal, people say, well, you know, men and women who go to college end up with really high-paying jobs, right? So, so the way that we can get more people to have high-paying jobs it's is we can the lower college. the standards and get more people into college, yep. which again is the drafting people to make them tall. So what's happened over the past generation is uh, scores have been relentlessly downsized, like the the requirements have been relentlessly downsized, and this has been driven by a wide variety of factors, socialist egalitarianism plus a lot of funding from the government that's dependent upon proportional representation from underrepresented groups and so on. But basically what's happened is a whole bunch of people have bought into this promise that if I go to college, I'm going to get a six-figure salary pretty soon after coming out, because in the past, that was not wildly off base. But what's happened is they have let lower IQ people into college. And you can see the effects of this uh, in the political correctness, uh, in people showing up and chanting and, and, and smashing down things that they're safe rooms. And this is all a yeah, low IQ right. phenomenon who can't that's handle right. opposing opinions. And so what's happened is all of these people have gone and taken in a lot of debt with the idea and the promise that, you know, they go to college, they're going to make a lot of money. But college… Admissions in the past was an effect of an intelligence and it actually didn't matter fundamentally whether you went to college in terms of your overall earnings. If you didn't go to college, you look at Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg right. and all these other people. If you didn't finish college, Steve Jobs. If you were really smart, you'd make a lot of money whether mm-hmm. you went to college or not. And college you know, had its pluses and minuses. But these people have been told, well, if you go to college, you'll make as much money as the people who went to college in the past. But you won't. And so they've graduated and the market is assessing, not politically correct market, the actual you've got to produce value market. The market is assessing their skills and saying, you are not worth the previous generation of college grads. Because I can't trust whether you're there because of innate intelligence or you're there because of preferential treatment. And so they have they're in, you know, they've they've landed in the Starbucks barista universe that their IQ may have destined them for in the beginning, and they're completely unable to pay their student loans. And in comes, you know, a wild-haired Santa Claus himself, Bernie Sanders, to say, I'll pay off your student loans. Now, in the past, you didn't usually need that help because the smartest people would go to college, they'd get good jobs after be able to pay off the loans. But by lowering the standards, you've created a giant trillion-dollar-plus debt student bubble, which people are desperate to get out from under. And this is, again, if you don't understand IQ, it really doesn't make any sense. But if you do understand IQ, you understand that changing the standards does not change the biology.
1: That's right. And, and when they come out with that super incredible debt, it also means they don't have the ability to borrow money to start businesses or anything else that people used to do.
0: Which uh, they could have done if they hadn't they, gone to college.
1: Exactly. exactly. Making them unhappy. No, it's this idea that if you go to college, you're going to come out rich. Is uh, It's a cargo cult mentality. with the cargo cults? Uh, <laughs> yeah. For those uh, viewers who aren't, uh, the during the island hopping campaign in the Pacific, the U.S. Would, would find an island that was useful for them in terms of launching the next series of steps to the Japanese mainland and all of a sudden the full force and might of the most powerful industrial country in the world lands on this little tiny little island and then two years later the war's over and then they leave and the americans had brought in all of these goods and all of these supplies just jeeps and trucks and just everything and our anthropologists went back many years later and they found out that some of these populations on these islands had built structures that look like control towers and built structures that look like airplanes because they believed that that these were what drew that's what brought the Americans were these these totems on the ground. That's what brought them. It's, it's, it was, it's got the thing completely backwards, obviously. In other words, we're going to erect this kind of statues to what we saw when they were here, things that looked like control towers and airplanes in the hope of bringing them back. Uh, that's kind of what college has become. It's become a, a kind of a cargo cult where you assume that if you go to Yale, you're going to come out with a big salary. And, of course, the biggest part of this, too, is this idea that um, – not only not only the falling standards and and the just this you know government guaranteed in, uh, loans, which then mean the tuition goes up to ridiculous levels and so on, but there's also something in there too. These um, these colleges become they become. Here's what I'm trying to say. It used to be that you would go to college to get a degree in engineering or math or something like that. You would get a degree which would lead to a high-paying job, but as more and more of these colleges are trying to accommodate people who are only in college to have the college experience, you know, and you get women's studies and gender studies, and you get, you know, and you get people majoring in things that are maybe actual discipline like medieval renaissance poetry is my favorite, and that's fine if you want to major in that, that's fine. That's but a hobby. Take, that's yeah, that's a hobby. That's right. And if you want to. If you want to major in medieval renaissance poetry and make a living out of it, the only way you'll do it is by teaching it to other people. And if you think you can take out a $300,000 loan in order to get a four-year degree in that, then you're fooling yourself. And it's not a very bright thing to do. Uh, One of the things that I've seen that I thought, I saw a cartoon that was so interesting, you know, all these, uh, uh, so many of the campus feminists are saying we need to get more women into STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. And there was a cartoon where it was a guy in a booth saying, you know, STEM courses, and then another woman in a booth saying women's studies courses, and all the women then went to the women's studies courses, and then the next panel, they're holding up protest signs saying more women should get into STEM seen Hoff like,
0: Summers, who's a feminist I, I really respect, was uh, challenged, right? So somebody came up and said, why aren't there – a woman came up to her and said in a, in a speech, why aren't there more women in STEM? It's really, really bad. And she said, well, what are you taking? The woman said, well, women studies. She said, well, why didn't you take STEM and solve the problem? And then she fainted and, you know, yeah, she the smelling f- insults. and fainted because, and because
1: the answer is sol- sol- solves itself. It's because it's harder. That's why. Being an engineering, being an engineering student is harder. And it's, a, and it's an insult to the female engineering students out there as well. You know, to to say you know we should get more people into engineering. We should get as many people in engineering as people who want to and are capable of becoming engineers. That's the number of people we should have in engineering. If you have the ability and the and the desire to do it, then then great. But when we start to try to level the society out, when when the the, the left decides that the, they decide that there's a mixture of things and a, and a proportion of things and limits on things. It always results in individual people getting squashed on the top down and on the bottom up, it it, it results in people being taken above their abilities to the point where they're unhappy too.
0: Oh, this, this this, resentment, I mean, I, I, um, I see this, uh, it's this just big tsunami of resentment that comes out whenever I put videos out about this topic. And this is page after page of these YouTube comments and in the emails and messages of people like, oh, those rich scumbags, they don't earn their money, they inherit it, they get it by gaming the system. I hate those rich guys, they got to pay them. It's a lynch mob mentality. And if I were an evil genius rich guy, I'd love that story because what it would do is it would make the poor people who were liable to undercut me, poor people have a great advantage. Uh, if, if if wealth was the only standard that mattered in the free market, there'd never be any small companies. There'd never be any new companies. Yeah, that's right. New companies, smaller companies. I co-founded a company. We grew it to a good size. That's It's still exactly, in operation. Yeah. We beat out IBM. We beat out other big companies exactly. because we were smaller, willing to exactly. work harder. You know, that the mammals get the food that the dinosaurs don't. Exactly, and so this yeah. idea that, that it's just wealth and power and I'm going to hate the rich people. You know, when I was a kid, I looked at the rich people and said, well, I want me some of that. I wasn't like, those bastards have stolen everything from me. That rage that resentment that is fostered by the left creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where this underclass of resentment looks up and is angry at the the rich and thinks that being rich is immoral and thinks that being rich is being exploitive and you're just some evil capitalist with a stereotypical monopoly monocle in your face and you're stepping on the necks of the poor to get to your gold lame bathtub. It's horrible because it seals the poor in this cyst and biosphere of resentment where they can't break out because they hate that which they kind of want, which is
1: more stuff. Exactly, and uh, and this is kind of where we started the discussion. Uh, the reason I'm the reason I'm t- talking about this, and the reason you're talking about it, is because that is, in fact, what ex- exactly what happens. Uh, you know, there's a big difference, obviously, between IQ and happiness. In fact, you can make a fairly compelling case that, in many cases, there's an inverse relationship between the two of them. Um, but just look at at this from a point of of i mean happiness ultimately is it right i mean you can talk about what is the what's the point of living your life we have goals for our society we have goals that we'd like to see and we have things we'd like to protect and rights and all this stuff but basically when it comes right down to it what's what makes your life worth living? It's a sense of happiness and fulfillment, and usually the two are the same. This is something the doesn't understand at all. I think the Greek definition of happiness was using all of your powers to their full ability. It didn't say how many powers. It didn't say what kind of powers. It said using, uh, using your talents to your maximum ability is the fundamental core sense of gratification, happiness, and fulfillment. And if we're not ready to um, to address that issue, then we're going to continue to have these problems. The the problem with with Telling black people that they're being kept down by this racist system is that it it absolutely deprives them of the ability to take control over their own lives and have a measure of personal happiness. I would be as miserable – I'd be a drug addict with my with an, a needle in my arm if I thought that my destiny was absolutely going to be the same week after week, that no matter what I did – there was somebody trying to keep me down. That there were giant forces at work preventing me from being successful. That that uh, whatever hard work I would decided to achieve would be kept away from me by whatever nefarious secret forces. I'd be under a bridge with a needle in my arm too. I mean, I'm, what would be the point of getting up in in any particular day if you felt that way? And this got nothing. This particular thing has nothing really to do with IQ. It has to do with 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 the sense of um, of ownership of your own life and. We have to address this issue because we are finding that these, you know, that these intellectuals on the left are making rules and trying to engineer society in a way that makes things worse, makes it worse every day. Uh, you, If you just left people alone, you know, if you just left them alone and didn't, didn't Either force them to do things or not do things, people would generally find their level of 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 happiness if you if you if you left them alone and if you didn't subsidize their um well just for lack of a better word their laziness and inactivity because I'm talking from experience here too uh, i I mentioned being you know really poor for most of my life, which was a series of choices that I made and there was a period there when I was when my life was subsidized by my friends and 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 they did that for a year and when they decided, for my own good, that it was time for me to move out of the garage, I was furious with them, furious, because they'd gone to all the trouble of helping me and putting all of these resources and time and effort and discomfort and and inconvenience into helping me. and And when they when they cut that off, I was enraged. Now, fortunately, I've made amends for all of this stuff, so I can live with myself. But that is the natural reaction, right? You're dependent. You're you're. Did you look for a job today? Well, I kind of you know glanced at the. Why would I have to? I've got, you know, got TV, I've got bed, got electricity, got hot running water, got food. And that kind of dependence rots the, it not just rots the mind, it rots the soul. It, it robs you of your ability to be the master of your own destiny, which I think is the fundamental determinant of happiness anywhere, anytime, any race, any time in history.
0: Yeah, I love what Aristotle said. He said that happiness is the one thing that we accept, not as a means to something else, but as an end in itself. You know, I eat food, so I don't feel hungry, so I stay alive. But happiness is the one thing we do. It's not a stepping stone to anything else. It's got to be the end goal. And this, you know, this general sense of, of, and Donald Trump is really talking about this a lot, the sense that America has reached the top of the arc, you know, that it's it's now beginning mm-hmm. to slide and go down, which statistically is is very valid. It's a very valid reaction to what's been going on, particularly for middle class salaries over the last sort of generation, generation and a half. And my argument has been that. There are some people who are fantastic at maximizing and expanding the resources in society. You know, we all have very precious, the seed crop, the, the, the capital that we have, mm-hmm. the, the, the savings of our forefathers, the investment in the infrastructure that was made in the past. These are all very precious things, and they can vanish like that. Just look at the fall of Rome. Like one year, there's 1.2 million people. Two years later, there's 17,000 people living among the ruins. It That's can end very quickly. And there are certain people who are fantastic. Just geniuses at expanding society's resources, at creating wealth, you know, the the Steve Jobs and so on. And in the past, the fact that wealthy people controlled a lot of resources was fantastic for society because generally they'd gotten wealthy. By, um, by hard work and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and so on. And that's still the case. You know, people are surprised that actually uh, the number of rich people in America who got there through hard work is higher now than it was a generation ago because of the barrier to entry from computers is really lowered. That's you right. That's right, absolutely
1: it. right. I wouldn't be in this business and neither would you likely if it weren't no. for the fact that it's essentially free for us to do what we do.
0: Right. So um, if, you, if a society, through the free market, what's going to naturally happen is the resources are going to accumulate the most to those who are best able to increase them. You know, mm-hmm. if there's one farmer who can uh, produce ten times the crops from another farmer, that right. farmer should have the most land because yes. he's going to produce the most crops. If you if you say, well, let's carve off half the land from the good farmer and give it to the crappy farmer, everyone starves. That's and precisely so you want what to let the resources, Yeah, you want to let resources flow to those with the best capacity to increase them. That way, everybody gets wealth. Uh, everybody now, gets wealthier. So this hatred of wealth disparity says, well, let's take. Basically, the fundamental thing that happens is let's take land from the really great farmers and give it to the bad farmers so they feel better, so that they get a little bit more in the moment. But everybody this is why we're taking resources from those best able to maximize and increase them and squandering them on those who are going to waste them in terms of the long term and, and and this is why the, the arc of, of America is beginning to decay. And until we liberalize that and and it's tough to convince poor people that the richer the rich people are, the wealthier they'll be, because that requires a level of intelligence that, and deferral of gratification that is a challenge for a lot of poor people if that's low IQ population. The free market does it, but in politics, to appeal to the vanity of the masses is almost uh, uh, irresistible for politicians.
1: It's funny you mention that. I'm, uh, just now I'm going to go down and shoot an afterburner called humility, basically. Uh, I was just teeing off with the difference between Cam Newton's speech and, and uh, uh Peyton Manning's two years ago when he got wiped out in the Super Bowl, and and you know how humility helps you under adversity. But basically, what humility does more than anything is it allows you to realize once you realize you're not the smartest guy in the world or the smartest guy in the room. Uh, you know, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, it's usually a small room, uh, and 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 I should be in a, I should be in a in a better room. Um, but the the ability for you to 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 look at things and get your ego out of it maximizes your personal uh, ability to succeed and. And societies, There's one of these great business uh, expressions that I love so much is, you know, A-list talent hi- hires A-list talent and B-list talent hires C-list talent because smart people and people who have confidence and successful people like to be surrounded by people who are very good. They don't feel like they have to be outshined, right? They, they The fact that they've hired such smart people is a sign of, of how of how good they are. But people who are insecure about these things hire people who are not going to outperform them and their co- companies just go down the hill and and, and – and, people who don't have that ego problem, their company goes up the hill. So I just want to kind of close with this because your farm analogy is very simple to understand and it's, and it's the kind of thing that we sometimes just have to deal with when we're trying to deal with these people who are trying to demonize the whole process. When you say something like, the people who, who are the best farmers should get the most land, what we really have to be concentrating on here is we have to say, look, what's the end result and what is, what is our intended goal? The goal is to have as much food as possible, right? That's what we want. We want as much food as possible. And if you're going to take – this is exactly what, what – uh, exactly precisely what um, Stalin did in the, in the 20s and 30s in, in Russia. He, there were kulaks. These kulaks were, were relatively rich peasants. I think the term means hoarders in, in Russian. But when I say relatively rich, they may have one or two guys working for them. Maybe they have two oxen or something. And he appealed to all the people that didn't have the oxen. To kill these guys and take their stuff. Well, that's exactly what they did. They killed them and took their stuff and moved all their grain into the inner cities. And then 7, 8, 10, 20, 30 million of them starved. The whole country was starving. There was less food because the government came in and took from the people who knew how to farm and gave it to people who didn't either through intelligence or laziness or whatever. And the total food supply went down and everybody starves. So you don't get the moral argument that the left wants all the time. They don't get to own this moral argument. We're not talking about taking things away from people. We're talking about maximizing output, which is good for everybody. The more food there is, the cheaper the food is. That's good for poor people more than it's good for rich people because rich people have more uh, disposable income. If you're talking about your farm analogy, you want the best farmers on the job. And you don't want to give farms to people who can't farm at all in a sense of fairness which is going to starve everybody universally but the but the lower classes more than anyone because they have the fewer resources to do it so if you can if it works on a farm it should work on the entire culture right it should work on the entire culture because what we're talking about is an increase of wealth not money you can print money you can't print wealth when you have a society like we have in the United States where the poorest Americans are richer than 93% of the people currently living on planet Earth, when, when people who are below the poverty line in the United States routinely, I mean just constantly, they have, uh, they have color televisions, they have cell phones, they have $200 sneakers in, in some of these cases. you know, I'm not saying there's not poverty in America, but I am saying that if you, poverty is defined by a bell curve, here's the very rich, here's the middle, here's the very poor. You can't cut a bell curve in half and have half a bell curve. You cut a bell curve in half and you have a new bell curve, right? So in a, w- one of the sentences that I liked a lot, I used this many years ago, but in a, in a club of billionaires, the guy with 900 million is a chump, right? He's the waiter. So, okay. so what you're really talking about is you're talking about everything going up and it benefits it, – it may disproportionately benefit the people who are doing most of the work and most of the invention and most of the wealth creation – They may move ahead. But this idea that the rich get rich and the poor get poorer is is just not true. The rich get richer and the poor get richer, too.
0: And, uh, yeah, the the last point I'd make is just a sort of thought experiment for people out there who are sports fans. Mm -hmm. You want, like, the only way the NBA survives is by having the very highest levels of athleticism on display. Correct. if, If the NBA was populated by people... Who are bad at basketball? There would be no NBA. And so, right. when you lower the standards, you don't end up with a worse NBA. You end up with no NBA whatsoever because nobody's going to come and watch a bunch of people bounce the ball, hit themselves on the head, and fall right. over. Well, maybe a right. few people who like funny videos, but yeah, who uh, wants this to pay idea 40 bucks
1: to see an average basketball player.
0: Right, and and so there's no music industry if the best singers and musicians and songwriters don't get the most recording contracts like you can say well i want to get a recording contract cuz it looks like a lot of fun but you know they can give me taylor swift's outfits they can give me her songs they can put me on her stage and nobody's yep. showing up not even my wife. <laughs> so uh, you you want in the music industry you want the resources to aggregate towards those who are the best at doing it. Same thing with basketball and it's the same thing with entrepreneurship with capitalism with wealth. You know, it's an old exchange between um Ernest Hemingway and F, F, F Scott Fitzgerald. I think F. Scott Fitzgerald said, the rich are different from you and I. And Hemingway said, yeah, they've got more money. And that's a really sort of left and right wing thing, at least for me. The rich are very good at maximizing their resources. And they're willing to do things that I don't want to do. Right? Donald Trump sleeps five hours a night and works god awful and burned through three marriages. But I don't yeah, want to do that. So, right. you know, have the, have the $10 that's billion. Exactly dollars. Right. I'd rather have a happy marriage and, and get a good night's sleep. So they're willing to do things I don't want to do. And that, that's perfectly fine. I don't want to be a surgeon because I don't like cutting into things other than good potential. So the fact is that the rich are different, and if the IQ uh, thing is, they're they're biologically different. Like you, you can't like if you're born with a great singing voice, that's your great singing voice. Other people can get singing training, but they can't get that same singing voice. And so uh, there are some things we're born with, and the more that we interfere with that, the the more impoverished everyone becomes in the long run.
1: Yeah, and and it's so interesting that you mentioned uh, NBA and um, and music. Because uh, people out there who are protesting a guy who's a CEO let's say of a company and he makes five million dollars a year, well he's got a company that this may be employing twenty five thousand people, let's say, and they're all going home with salaries, but his salary is three hundred times or thirty times or whatever the average is so he's he's, he's running a company that's employing twenty five thousand people and he's taking home five million dollars a year, and it's an outrage. Beyonce takes home fifty million dollars a year by herself, right she's not by herself. And it's wonderful. And it's just great. And everybody just applauds her to the skies. It's like, you see, this is the difference between, this is why people visualize these things differently. Beyonce or Taylor Swift are individuals and they directly provide a service that people want because they're going to line up and pay for their music and they're going to buy the iPhone the day it comes out. They directly pay for it. So much of of, of what the people who have established wealth in this country have produced is the invisible infrastructure of things like dry cleaning chains and financial institutions, you know, what does it take to build a, to build a skyscraper? You say, well, it's a concrete, it takes copper plumbing and it takes electrical. It takes money first. The first thing you have to have is money to buy all that stuff. Somebody has to risk that money so that your vision can come true. And, and it just never ceases to amaze me how people will talk about a, a CEO who makes $5 million as some kind of vampire – working on the backs of, you know, of, of paying salaries for 25,000 people with his company, and then somebody else who goes out and, and, and makes songs is making 10 times that amount, and they're just wonderful. Let's just worship him to the skies and, and put out nine different magazines and four different TV shows about him every single day.
0: Well, I think it's fair to say that most singers are a little bit more photogenic than most CEOs and we do have a habit of deferring to pretty people. But you know, and I had this argument when I was a waiter, when I was a teenager, and people would be like, Oh the boss, he makes so much money and so on. It's like, but that's why the, the, the boss risked his capital to build this restaurant. You try carrying plates around in a field and see how much you make. You know, there has to be a restaurant around you in order for you anyway. And would so, okay. you be
1: willing? And would you be willing? You, you this is the part you have to say to the to the to the people that make this argument, to other waiters, Oh, he makes all this money. It's like Would you be willing to take everything you own and put it on the line? Would you be willing to put everything on the line and would you be also willing to make sure that every single person got paid before you did, right? Because you can't run a business without employees. You can run a business without profit. You can run a business at a loss, but you can't run it without employees. And then you might also ask that restaurant uh, person, if we do well, we pay you more money, but would you be willing to take less money if we were doing worse? Would you be willing? Would you be, just as a Just as an employee, you're making fifteen dollars an hour or whatever the whatever the number is, and the company's doing this, and if it succeeds, we'll take you up to 17. But if we're having a bad year, we've got to knock you down to ten. They would people would recoil at this.
0: Or if it fails, like I remember in my business, we had to cover payroll once. I had to sign jaw-dropping things for the bank that basically would have had them rent my kidney you, out to third world right. for the rest you, that's of my exactly life. That's like, exactly right. Not only a loss in pay, would you be willing to walk away with $50,000 in debt if the restaurant fails? Well, probably not.
1: Not. And, and $50,000 in debt that you can't pay because you just went out of business. Right. And so and so, what, what these people either consciously or, sub, or or unconsciously are talking about is they do not understand also that... The, the reward is, is predicated on the risk. It's not just the work, it's the risk. And it's the vision, it's all those things. Um, well, you know, you hear people say, well, there's you know there's 250,000 people making iPhones, why aren't they making what Steve Jobs made? Because there's only one guy that invented the iPhone to the degree that he saw it as a possibility. All of his engineers said, we can't do this. He, in the, in the chain of, of going from iron ore to an iPhone, he is the only indispensable element. He's the only indispensable element, which is why he's worth so much money. There are people below him on the pyramid who are high-level engineers who are very, very, very important part of making that happen, but they're not indispensable, so they make considerably less than he does. Then there are people who assemble these things, which largely can be done by just about anybody, and there's huge numbers of people who can do that job, and they are even less indispensable to the to the creation of the product, but everybody... Everybody who's rich in this country has either – with the exceptions of those people who've, who've, who've taken their money through crony capitalism and, and you know and, and, and government subsidies and locking out other businesses, But as a general rule, uh, I know a lot of rich people and they're the hardest working people I ever met. They got there early. They stayed there late. They were the first ones in. They were the last ones out. Over 20 years of hard work. Finally, they start seeing some rewards. And the second that they, that they start getting something back for the risks and the rewards they've taken, people line up to take their stuff that they made out of thin air – and they want it without risk and they want it without, uh, without the work. They just want it. Yeah,
0: it's a lot easier to uh, want to pick up the kill that somebody else hunted than go hunt yourself. All right. Well, let's close off. I just wanted to remind everyone to go to Billwittle.com, uh, and, of course, check out your work. We'll put links uh, on uh, PJ Media. Always a great pleasure to chat, my friend. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. And uh, maybe next time we can talk about what's going on in the U.S. election, which um, I find myself uh, getting all kinds of By the hour.
1: About. We just have to do updates, you know, as as we go along. It's great seeing you, Stephan.
0: Thanks, man. Take care.
1: You too.